Good morning. It's uh, good to see everybody. Hope you had a good Christmas and are uh, kind of looking at this week that's in front of us as sort of a transitional week. We've called this a palate cleanser Sunday so that we can kind of put a pause between uh, the Advent series and the series in Luke that's ahead of us. But it's also kind of a great transitional uh, Sunday for us in terms of, you know, when we get back together next week, it's going to be next year. And so how do we make the most of the minutes we have together today and, and uh, the days that kind of end this year and before we begin the new year? Uh, one thing you need to know about me is that uh, my regular gig here at Warehouse is teaching in the kindergarten and first grade class. So I'm not sure if this is promotion, demotion. I'm not exactly sure where this fits in the whole continuum. But it would help me to feel more comfortable if a couple of you would kind of take on the persona of a superhero at various times during the presentation. Uh, if we could get a couple of Rowdy Connect Four games going, that would really make me feel at home uh, in this environment. But um, in fact, I did ask the people who set up the room to exchange the chairs for carpet squares, but unfortunately I didn't... Uh, didn't uh, prevail in that, so you got chairs today. So, um, what we want to do, as I said uh, this morning, is really just invest a few minutes uh, in thinking about, you know, how we got to where we are, where we are, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. Kind of a process of learning and dreaming. And I don't know how you came in this morning. Maybe you came in with a real sense of purpose as you anticipate the new year. Maybe you came in feeling a little lost. It does remind me of a recent uh, family weekend getaway. Uh, We decided back in October on what ended up being one of the rainiest and coldest weekends in October to throw the sleeping bags and the tents in the car and head off to the mountains of western North Carolina to hike a small portion of the Appalachian Trail. In fact, you're probably familiar with the Max Patch to Hot Springs section. If you've done any hiking around here, it's kind of a pedestrian 21-mile section of the, of the trail. We were going to hike off, the, I mean, camp off the trail, and then our plan was to hike about seven-mile section of the trail, just a kind of a leisurely morning uh, pedestrian stroll down the Appalachian Trail. And so we had worked out all the details with the, the guy who runs the outfitter store in Hot Springs, and and uh, thought we were clear on the plan, and he was uh, very clear that we needed to meet him on Saturday morning at 7 a.m., which seemed odd to me, you know, why do we have to get up so early and meet him at 7 o'clock in the morning? We're only going to hike seven miles, about three and a half hours, you know, kind of worst-case scenario with a leisurely lunch, you know, so couldn't we meet at 10 o'clock? That sounds like a lot better plan to me, but he was clear, 7 a.m. we needed to be there. So we show up, dressed, you know, tennis shoes, couple sweatshirts, a little backpack filled with trail mix, a couple sandwiches, water bottles, the things you need for a little seven-mile hike. And he kind of looked at us with a puzzled expression and said, Is that all you got? I was like, yeah, man, what, <laughs> what more do we need? I mean, it's a little seven-mile hike, no big deal. And uh, so, you know, he, we follow him to the place where we park our car. Then we jump in his car, which was an uh, entertaining trip in and of itself. And kind of wind through the mountains on what seemed like a very long trip. Now, but, but you, you can't tell when you're driving through the mountains how far you've been, right? Because you're winding back and forth. So what seems like a long time could actually be just a little bitty, 
you know, space of actual traveled distance. And so, and who knows what was going on. And so uh, we get to uh, Max Patch. He drops us off and we start hiking. Well, you have certain trail markers along the way. And from that, I was able to kind of estimate our pace and estimate, you know, kind of when we would arrive at our destination based on maintaining that pace. And uh, so we started our hike and we're moving on down the trail. And so about five miles into it, uh, we decided to stop and have lunch because, you know, we were going to be in the car in two hours and we didn't want to have lunch at the car by the, by, the, uh, by the road. So we decided we'd stop here at this five-mile point. And uh, so then we had our lunch, enjoyed that, started walking again. About three miles later, and for those of you who are doing the math, eight miles into this seven-mile hike, I realized that maybe we had miscommunicated somewhere along the lines. And so about that time, there was a guy walking up the trail. He had started in Maine in October, and uh, here we were meeting in Asheville. He sort of lost touch with the whole idea of human communication, had a little sort of a dazed look, crumbs in his beard, not sure what all that was about. But he was a helpful young man at that point because I said, hey, uh, when did you last cross a road? And he said, well... I crossed sort of a service road about five miles back. Oh, wow. Um, <clears throat> was that uh, Garenflow Gap? Because that's where our car was. Oh, no, that was about two miles before I crossed the service road. Do you have a trail map on you? Yeah, I have to have a trail map. So we start pulling that out, realizing where we are, realizing where we started. Somehow along the way, this seven-mile hike had turned into a 14-mile hike. So <clears throat> it was a little bit of a surprise. And in case this favorable lighting is hiding the fact that I'm not in the absolute best physical condition. About, <clears throat> it wasn't that funny, actually. Um, about 10 miles into this process, yeah, I'm in what I like to refer to as tortured pain. And so we uh, get, to, get 10 miles into this. I've estimated now when we're going to arrive at our, you know, I've gotten the new destination time. I've, the kids are way in front of us because they're making a little better time than, than Carl and I are at this point. And so I yell ahead. I say, hey, kids, when you get to the car, blow the horn so it will renew our hope that we're going to reach the destination. <laughs> anyway, that was sort of the idea that they would get to the car first and blow the horn. So I go, okay, we're going to make it. And uh, we did eventually. And uh, they got to the car. They blew the horn. I was relieved. I was a little dis disheartened because about that same time, guys who had started running in Tennessee on a 40-mile Saturday jog lapped us on the trail, so added literal insult to injury. But, um, but that, was, uh, that was our experience on the trail, and it does highlight uh, the importance of having a plan, but not just having a plan, but actually having a plan that, that uh, associates with reality and having a plan that is consistent with what the intended destination is. And so on this bridge Sunday, sort of this transitional period between the end of 2008 and the beginning of 2009, I think it would be appropriate for us to invest a little bit of time thinking about what it would look like to invest ourselves in a process of learning and dreaming, to think about what it would look like to distinguish between sort of drifting and purposeful living. I have a couple of images for you to look at just to kind of illustrate these two ideas. Of course, this is driftwood. It's carried along by a current. It arrives at a destination that was unintended. 
and uh, will either kind of lay there until somebody gathers it up to build a fire with it or it becomes part of the beach permanently. Another image is this sailboat. The sailboat also carried along by an external force. But in this case, capturing that force and making purposeful progress, moving along in a purposeful way. So I don't know when you kind of came into this room this morning if uh, you reflected for a minute about kind of how you feel about where you are at the end of this year and before this next year begins. Would you associate more with the image of the driftwood or would you associate more with this kind of more purposeful image of the sailboat capturing the wind and, and moving in a purposeful direction? See, both groups would be asking the same questions. How did I get here? Where am I going? Who am I? Am I accomplishing anything? Am I winning? Am I losing? Am I being successful? What do I believe? Does my life matter? Does anyone else care? Do I matter to anyone else? All those questions are out there for all of us. The difference is, do you leave them hanging, try to move away from the questions and find something to distract yourself with, or do you press into the questions, reflect on those, and engage a process of learning and dreaming that gives birth to a hopeful and purposeful future. Now, the reality is that at least for the last few years, drifting could have been confused, at least through the economic lens that we're kind of all sensitive to right now. Uh, drifting could, uh, could be confused for sort of purposeful progress. You think about it, when the current is moving in a positive direction, you know, even the driftwood is finding its way in a positive direction. Uh, direction. So, you know, drifters have experienced career growth, income growth, home equity growth, 401k growth, whatever you want to call it. But in case you haven't noticed or haven't read a newspaper or haven't turned on the news recently, the current has sort of shifted. And drifting is being exposed for what it is, uh, an unexamined life of unintended consequences. So there's incredible value for us to hit pause particularly on days like these that are around us or ahead of us, to hit pause and engage a process of learning and dreaming. Sort of move beyond the re resolution cycle and invest some time in the process of thinking about where you are and how you got here, where you're going, and how you're going to arrive there. What I want to do is really just kind of two big categories. One is to sort of describe what this process of learning and dreaming might look like, and then... Secondly, to talk about how the gospel, this good news that God has communicated to us through His Son and through His Word, how that really energizes or makes even more powerful this process of learning and dreaming for those who follow Christ. So what does an intentional process of learning and dreaming look like? Well, something else you need to know about me is that most of the reading that I do is kind of centered around the, the subject of management and leadership. What I like to say here at Warehouse because we're such uh, art-oriented that for me, uh, a great work of art is a well-crafted diagram. And one of, my, um, one of my favorite novelists is Patrick Lencioni. So, I mean, that's, kinda, that's the depth that, that, I, that I enter this conversation with. But that, that's the kind of stuff that I read. And recently I read an article, and you're all going to want to jot this down and run out and download it yourself and read it. It's called The Five Ps for Planning, right? Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to just read that article? Well, I did. I actually read it and enjoyed it. Uh, it was written by a guy named Henry Mintzberg. He's uh, kind of a man management guru. And, and uh, he says, the basic idea, in case you don't get to read it yourself, he says the basic idea is that most people view planning through sort of a single lens. 
and miss out on sort of the layered richness that needs to form the context and foundation and outcome of the plan. He said it should be an explicit recognition of multiple definitions of planning. And so as you think about this idea of learning and dreaming, kind of concluding this year and, and imagining the, the year to come, I want to kind of modify his approach for a more personal process of reflection. Really four categories that you might want to think through. Take a couple of hours sometime over the next uh, few days and think through these categories. The first is what he refers to as perspective. Category one is perspective. And it's really the idea of a worldview, a collection of beliefs that form the framework through which we view the world. What do I believe about the world that I live in? Do I believe that it's abundant or limited? Do I believe that it's getting worse, better, or staying the same? Do I believe that I live in a world of random occurrence or intelligent design? Worldview is your overall perspective, the lens through which you interpret your experiences, your collection of beliefs. Have you ever taken the time to think through, what is my worldview? What is the lens through which I'm viewing my life in this, uh, in this context and the experiences that I have each day? Even a simple kind of elementary understanding of worldview sort of forms the foundation for thinking and dreaming about your future. And if you'd look like some uh, direction or help in thinking about this idea of worldview, I'd really uh, encourage you to look at anything written by Francis Schaeffer. He's been a kind of a, a key mentor for a lot of us in thinking about the collection of beliefs that form our worldview. That's the foundation of this process of learning and dreaming. The second thing that uh, uh, I kind of adapt from Mintzberg's work is this idea of what he calls pattern. In other words, there are certain behaviors, certain patterns of behaviors that can be observed in my life across different life stages, different contexts. The contexts change, but certain patterns in my life remain the same. What patterns emerge when I reflect on my past? Regardless of what I write in my plan, there are certain things that are going to be true about the way I make decisions, the things I prioritize, the things I gravitate to. You know, am I big picture oriented? Am I detail oriented? How do I respond to stressful situations? Do I like staying with a project uh, until it's completed or do I become bored as soon as the de project's defined and, and I'm ready to move on to something else? When do I feel like a fish in water? When do I feel like a fish out of water? See, what I'm attempting to do is describe a, an intersection of talent and personality and experience that really answers the question in one sense, who am I? Who has God made me to be? There's a movie that had a real impact on me when I was in college and thinking about purpose and why am I here and who am I for some of the first times in my life. And, and the main character in this movie was making a decision between following in the family tradition of being a missionary, which sounds like a great thing, right? Or being an Olympic athlete. And he was having a kind of a debate with his sister who was just offended that he would choose running a race over being a missionary like the rest of the family. And his response, his argument to his sister, who was offended by his choice, was, was very simple, but really illustrates this idea of pattern. He says, in this movie, he says, God made me to run fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. When you think back on the experiences, even of this year, 
or maybe of the last five years or the last ten years. What has God made you to do? And when do you feel His pleasure? That's this idea of pattern. Assessments, external feedback are particularly helpful when you're working through the pattern idea. So perspective, sort of a foundation. Pattern creates a a context. Uh, Position is a, a third idea that Mintzberg develops in his article. And by that he means, where are you going? What niche do you best fit in? Where do you want to be? Given your worldview and the observed patterns in your life, what are the contexts that exploit the best that I have to offer? This is the aspect of planning that looks into the future and begins to dream about the ultimate goal, the desired outcome, or the intended destination. Where do you want to be physically? Where do you want to be personally? Where do you want to be socially? Where do you want to be professionally? Kind of thinking about the future. And what is the best context that takes advantage of the best that you have to offer? A friend of mine recently became a father. He and his wife had a little boy. And uh, so I rushed out to Amazon and bought him a couple of used books. You know, I love that idea. You pay a penny for the book, $3.99 for shipping. Couldn't be, you know, it's a great, it's a great uh, equation. So I bought the book, not just because I'm cheap that I buy the used books, but it's because the books are out of print. But these are books that I read when my wife and I were kind of at the beginning of parenthood. And these two books particularly were very helpful because they helped us think all the way out to the end of the process. What did we want it to look like when our kids were leaving home to go off and live life as adults, independent of us? And so how do I need to live as a parent of a baby, a parent of a toddler, a parent of a school-age child, a parent of a teenager, a parent of a college-age child? How do I need to live in each of those stages in light of the desired outcome, the ultimate uh, destination that we had been dreaming about? And that's really the idea of position. Where are you headed? You know, what are you looking toward? The cliche, aim at nothing and you hit it every time, is a good summary of the importance of investing some time in thinking about your position where you're headed, where you want to be. The last idea that uh, kind of adapted from Mintzberg's work is what he simply refers to as planning. Because at this point, having created the foundation, I know what I believe and how I view the world. I know who I am and the best that I bring to the table, kind of the intersection of my personality, my experiences, and my talent. And I have an idea of where I'm going, where I want to arrive, the destination that I'm aiming for. Now, now I'm ready to plan. What do I want to do? What actions need to be taken? What decisions need to be made? Short-term, long-term. Immediate things over time that will move me in the desired direction. That's when that aspect of planning is most informed and most helpful. So this process of learning and dreaming is really about answering the question, what do I believe? Who am I? Where do I want to be or where am I going? And then what do I need to do now and over the next few months or few years that will move me in the direction of those desired destinations and outcomes? And I really do believe that regardless of how you came into this room this morning in terms of where you may be on your personal spiritual journey, that process has enormous value. But I do believe that as a follower of Christ, there is a particularly powerful Impact that this process of learning and dreaming can have on your life. And what I'd like to do just to conclude is look at 
three ideas harvested out of the New Testament book of Ephesians that really illustrate why this process of learning and dreaming is particularly powerful for followers of Christ. Ephesians is a New Testament book that's a very basic introduction of who God is and what He wants His people to, you know, the gathered church to, to look like and how people uh, live their lives, kind of who we are in Christ and how we'll live our lives. So it's a very basic New Testament book. And the first couple of chapters really illustrate three gospel impacts, three, three impacts of the gospel in our lives that add enormous power to this process of learning and dreaming. And we'll just summarize them with three words, purpose, courage, and imagination. The first idea is purpose. We engage the process of learning and dreaming with a belief that our story rests in the context of God's bigger story. We reject notions of fate and affirm a belief in God's purpose. Look at this verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The writer talking about who we are in Christ says we are God's workmanship. And that idea is not just a, a product that God is producing, but a, a work of art that God is crafting. We are His handiwork, His craftsmanship, so to speak, created in Christ Jesus for a purpose, for good works that He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we engage this process of learning and dreaming, we engage it with a belief that we are God's handcrafted work of art created for, for a purpose. As chaotic and unpredictable as our lives can feel, we believe that God is not asleep at the wheel, but that He is working in our lives, making us who He intends us to be and accomplishing everything He intends us to accomplish. Ephesians 2.10 2, assumes that we're going somewhere, that we're moving in the pursuit of some purposeful direction, not just the pursuit of the next good feeling. And so this sense of purpose really adds fuel to the process of learning and dreaming. A second idea is the idea of courage. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, because of the gospel, we can look back at who we are, at our past, without hiding from the truth of who we are, nor by being overwhelmed by the truth of who we are. See, the gospel gives us the courage to honestly assess who we are, where we are, without hiding and without being overwhelmed. The gospel promise in chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 4 of Ephesians says, Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So if you think about the idea of honestly taking a look at where you are and how you got here and you go, I would just rather not do that, you know? I would rather ignore that. I'd rather just pretend like the past didn't happen. The gospel really unleashes us with courage to honestly take a look at where we are and how we got here because we're confident in God's love and rich grace and kindness directed to us in Christ. 
apart from the gospel, I would need to minimize my losses and exaggerate my wins as sort of a coping mechanism. But because of the gospel, because God has transformed me from death to life, from rebel to friend, I can honestly assess the reality of my successes and failures. Purpose, courage, and then imagination. We look to the future with a profound sense of hope and can dream God-sized dreams. We believe that our best days are ahead of us. See, religion is often nostalgic, looking back on what was and wishing it could still be that way. But the gospel kind of transforms that thinking. It says, no, your best days are always ahead of you. Ephesians chapter 1 sort of illustrates that idea. Listen to the forward-looking perspective of this passage. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So that's not a nostalgic, backwards-looking perspective, is it? That's a hopeful imagination of where we're going, of what we've been called to, of what we've been made for. We're not constrained by the... I can't, but, but the shape and size of our dreams, of our imagination about the future is only bound by who God is and by what He's promised. So as a follower of Christ, you can dream in the brightest colors. You can dream the biggest dreams that you can imagine. So it's a, it's a very valuable process, learning and dreaming, particularly in a period of time that we find ourselves in right now, looking back on what has been, probably for most of us, a pretty difficult year and what a lot of us imagine might be an even more challenging year in front of us. So how do we capture you know, the, the, the learning that we need to get out of the experiences we've had in the past? How do we really capture where we are and how we got here and then dream about where we're going and what God might do to get us there? An incredibly valuable process and particularly fueled uh, by this idea of purpose, courage, and imagination that really is the fruit of the gospel in our lives. So I, I really encourage you as strongly as I possibly can to invest some time over the next few days in thinking through some questions like this. You know, take a couple of hours. Get up an hour early. Get your journal out. Spend some time reflecting. Where am I and how did I get here? And where am I going? And what do I need to do to make progress in that direction? Make it a devotional time, really. Making yourself available to God. Saying, God, my future belongs to you. My past has been addressed by you in the gospel. My future belongs to you. Help me take an honest look at where I am and how I got here. And help me dream a God-sized dream about where I'm going and how you're going to get me there. See, I don't really think any time is, but I think particularly now is not the time for drifting. God has called us to live a life of purpose. 
You know, if you think back on the picture, the driftwood that's kind of laying there on the shore of the river or the beach, however you imagine it. You know, some people might see that as something that needs to be gathered up and discarded. And maybe that's the way you even view your life right now, as something that, you know, just feels like a drift, uh, something that's been adrift, a piece of driftwood that could be gathered up and discarded. But God sees the driftwood of our lives as a medium for His artistic handiwork. He can take driftwood and reshape it into something beautiful and purposeful. And so I really do invite you, wherever you come into this spiritual journey, to enter into a process of learning and dreaming. And if you're a follower of Christ today, you should enter into it with unique vigor because you know God has called you and made you for a purpose. You have the courage to look honestly at who you are and you have only God's character and God's promises putting boundaries on your dreams for the future. And if you came in here and that really wasn't a part of your life, that's the invitation that He extends to you. You know? You are my handiwork. I want to take what feels like driftwood and turn it into a work of art. Make your life available to Him. Open yourself up to His purpose and the promise of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this incredible picture that You take a life that some, even most, would discard and you make it your palate, your medium for creating a, a useful, beautiful, purposeful work of art. And so I pray, God, that everyone in this room would just open their hearts up to you and say, God, show me where you're taking me. Show me the work that you're accomplishing through me. I make myself available to you. Thank you for the promise of the gospel that gives us courage to honestly assess. And thank you for the bigness of who you are that really places no boundaries on the dreams that we can have for the way you might accomplish good things through us. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.